0: We've been talking about faith. As I read my Bible from the beginning to the end, I find that nothing happens with God apart from faith. Faith is involved with everything. The Bible says we're, we're, we're not saved by faith. We're saved by grace, but that grace is received by faith. The Bible tells us that uh, without faith it's impossible to please God. The Bible tells us that everything that we have, we receive from God by faith. And so faith is so important. In fact, Jesus said when he comes back, he's going to look to see if there's still faith on the earth. He's going to look to see whether it's here or not. So I don't know about you, but I want to find faith. Not only that, this church is faith christian Center, Faith christian Center. And I know there are some people out there that teach that faith has been pushed to the extreme in some cases. And uh, Let me put it this way. True faith, you can't have enough of it. There's no such thing as extreme when it comes to true faith. But some people have taken the message of faith and they've taught it separate from God and they've used it for their own purposes. But just because some people make a mistake and make an error doesn't mean we throw it out. So we're learning about faith Not only that, but I believe with all my heart in the day and age in which you and I live, it's going to be critical that we learn to walk by faith and live by faith. My Bible says that the just shall live by faith. And in the past, when we've started on Wednesday nights, we've gone back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, and says that not throw away your confidence because it has great reward attached to it. We saw that at the end of that chapter, God says that don't, don't be among those that pull back. Don't be among those that pull back out of unbelief because my soul takes no pleasure in them. That's God speaking. So God says, "My soul." He loves us all, but He takes more pleasure in some than others. And what he p- pleases Him is faith. And if you stop and think about it, what faith is, faith is trusting Him. Faith is trusting God more than you trust what you see. Faith is trusting what God has said more than you trust what you feel or what somebody else says. Now, doesn't that make sense that God would be pleased with people that trust Him and not what they think and what they feel? Especially when He knows what's best and He loves you more than you love yourself. He can do a better job of taking care of you than you take care of yourself. So all you're doing is allowing Him to do in your life what He wants to do. But we get in the way. Did I give you enough time to find Mark chapter 11? Okay. Now, this is a story you're all familiar with. Some of you, most of, many of you know these verses by heart. But I want to move on in our talking about studying faith together. What we're going to see here is, uh, verse, starting in verse um, Mark 11, verse 12. Now, the next day when they be, had come out of Bethany, he, Jesus, was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he might find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And look at the, what the last part of that verse says. And his disciples heard it. Now let's stop this a second. It's interesting because if you read it carefully, you'll feel, realize it'll raise some questions. Because it says... Jesus saw that there were leaves on it and went over to it. And then when he got closer, he saw not only were there leaves on it, but there was nothing on it to eat. And then it goes on and says, because it's not the season for figs. Well, then why did he go over? Have you ever thought of that? I mean, everybody knew it wasn't the time to produce figs. And Jesus walks over to the tree to see if there's figs on it. And lo and behold, shockingly, there are no figs because it's not the season for figs. And then he gets ticked off at it and curses it. What's that all about? Well, there are, the Bible doesn't tell us other than what he, we're going to go on to see. There's a lesson in it. There are a lot, number of commentators that will tell you if you study it that Jesus is trying to say something about Israel. That Israel, although it had it had the signs of life of leaves, it wasn't producing the true fruit of, of, of a relationship with God and of righteousness. And that may be so, but it doesn't tell us that's what it's doing. But what we does say is this. It says, and the disciples heard it. So let's just go with what we know. Okay. I'm not saying they're wrong, but let's just go with what we do know. Amen. Now, I mention that because... I want you to learn to read your Bible carefully and ask questions. There's nothing wrong with asking questions. I've had some people come and say, Pastor, why does it say that? And if I don't know, I'll tell you, I don't know. And if I have time and I think it's important, I'll go look it up and see if I can find out. Sometimes I've just got to go to God and say, show me. A lot of the insights I get, I just because I take it to God and say, show me. Do you understand the author of the book lives in you? So you can ask him questions. In fact, they want you to ask him questions. What does that mean? Don't just read it. If you don't understand, just pass over it. Go talk to the author. He lives in you. And one of his purposes is to teach you what it means. And so, so I want you to learn to read it carefully. Because when you do that, when you ask questions, that's when he can begin to show you answers. Amen. So one of the things we do know is it says at the end of this verse, and the disciples heard him. So what we know is, Jesus went over to the tree, knowing ahead of time it wouldn't have figs. Seeing that there are no figs there, he curses the thing. And his disciples heard him curse it. Now let's see what happens. Because what we're going to see, and what we do know, is they heard this. They saw what he did. Then they see the results, and now they ask him questions about it. It may be... He did it at this time because he wanted to teach them something about prayer. So, verse fifteen down through verse eighteen, he goes into the temple. It is interesting because what he does is he gets upset at the people in the temple. Verse seventeen, he says, "Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves." And now, verse twenty. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree, notice this, dried up from its roots. Now, what's in the Bible is in there, is important. So when it says dried up from its roots, there's got to be some significance to that. I have some crabgrass that's found a way to break through a crack in my driveway. So I went and got some weed killer, and yesterday, I think it was, I went and sprayed that grass because I could rip it up, but it's going to grow back. So I sprayed the grass because I want to kill it at its roots. I went out and looked at it today. It still looks green. Now, my wife had sprayed some crabgrass that had creeping out in a patio we had, and Two or three days later, because at first it was green the next day. But two or three days later, it came out and it was all brown. Why? Because what has to happen is you spray the leaves. The leaves absorb the poison and it has to work its way down because you want to kill it at the roots. But the point is that takes some time. Jesus didn't spray we'd be gone on the fig tree. He spoke to it. And when they came by the next morning, the tree isn't dead because they've done some test on the roots. There's evidence the tree is dead because the leaves are all withered up. So it's dead from the roots up. The significance is it happened supernaturally. Well, obviously it happened supernaturally. He spoke to it anyway. But the point is, it happened almost immediately, and the thing was dead from its roots, and that got the disciples' attention. All right? Now he's going to use this as an opportunity to teach his own disciples. They saw the fig tree. So we see in verse 14, they heard him curse it. Now in verse 20, they see the results of what his, curse or his prayer did. Verse 21. And Peter, remembering him, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. Now, notice this happened as they're passing by the tree. So if Jesus, Peter hadn't opened his mouth, they would have kept on walking. So, first of all, we understand Jesus wasn't startled. So he didn't go by the day before, stop, may no man eat fruit of you again. Notice he didn't jump up and down and spit. He didn't scream and yell and work up a lot of emotion. He just said, may no man eat fruit of you again. He didn't call it nasty names. Kind of like when God in Genesis 1 says, let there be light. He didn't have to jump up and down,, blah blah' going work. and you know work up all the emotion. He just opened his mouth. just confidence in his own authority. Jesus just walks by and says, "No man's going to eat of you again." and just keeps on going. The disciples heard what he said. Jesus goes into the city. the next morning, because he must have left at night. They come back by again. So they come back by. The tree's there. It's all withered up from the roots. Jesus is going to walk on by. See, he's not surprised to see it because he actually believed that what he said would happen. The result is when he saw it with his natural senses, he didn't go, Oh, oh, God answered my prayer. He was going by. But Peter stops him and says, Master, walk. The tree which you cursed is withered. And now Jesus takes the opportunity to teach them. Now, let's stop there a second, because there's a real lesson here. Peter refers to him as rabbi, which in Hebrew means teacher. God is the master teacher. He knows how to teach. And the method that he is instructed in the Old Testament for fathers to teach their children was to have them memorize the scriptures. And he said, then when they ask you what it means, then you teach them what it means. Have you ever noticed that we don't... Let me put it this way. Have you ever been in in a church service and you came out and said, Wow, I heard that like I never heard it before. I mean, I know I've heard this taught before, but I heard it like I never heard before. I find invariably when that's true it's because there's a situation in my life where I needed that. Same word. They've been the same message that I was listening to on a CD and I heard two years ago, but now it's speaking to me in a way it didn't speak to me before. It's not speaking any differently at all. I'm in a different place because my ears are more open because I know I need what's on that, whereas instead of hearing another nice message, I need to hear something from God. So we, where we are in our readiness determines a, long, a great degree of what we hear. One of the mistakes we often make is we try to teach people things they're not ready to hear. And we, we do that especially with our children. And so here Jesus does something, and He doesn't stop and teach them on it until Peter asks Him a question. When Peter asks the question, Jesus stops and uses this as an opportunity because now He's ready to learn something. All right? Let's see what he's ready to learn. So Jesus is now going to teach them something based on what he just did. Look at Peter's question. Actually, he doesn't really ask a question. Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. Now look at verse 22. And Jesus answered. Stop there a second. I challenge you to go back into verse 21 and find the question. Have you noticed how many times in the Bible, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Peter and says, We know you're a man of God because nobody could do the things that you do unless God sent you. And the next verse says, And Jesus answered and said unto him, What was the question? I mean, I'm used to seeing. Court reports where you see question and the lawyer asked this question, answer, and this is the answer. So you look at the question, you read the answer. You look at the question, you read the answer. But Jesus answered questions they didn't ask. Did you ever notice that? Because he knew what was in their hearts. I don't know about you, but that gives me confidence when I come to pray. We see in, John, in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus said about the Father, don't you know he already knows what you're going to need before you come and ask him? So why do we hold back in prayer? Are we afraid he's not going to understand us? Or really, if he only understood me, he knows, every, he knows more about you than you do. He knows the questions that are in your heart you don't know you have. And if you'll get close to him and open up, he'll answer questions you didn't even know you had. So he answered them. Let's see what his answer is. I mean, we all know that, pretty much know this by heart. But we're going to go through this because there's a very important thing in here I want to see. We talked a little bit about this, I think, last time. Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. Now, literally in the Greek, it says, Have faith, have God's faith. But almost every translation translates it and it's really what makes sense there, have faith in God. And we've talked a little bit about this before, and I want to kind of kick off from here tonight. Notice what he now, This is, in my Bible, it's in red, which means Jesus said it. Notice what he does not say. He does not say, have faith in how you pray. Notice he does, not say have, he does not say, have faith in your faith. This is very important. You need to be able to identify what you put your trust in. When you came in here tonight and you sat in that blue chair, you made a determination to trust that chair. You didn't trust the chair next to you. You didn't trust the chair in front of you. You specifically trusted that chair that you put yourself in. So it's important to be able to identify, I know this may sound simple to you, but this is where many people miss it. They don't know what their faith is in. They just know I'm supposed to have faith. You can't have faith in, you can't just have faith because by the very nature of it, it's in something or in someone. Faith is believing what someone told you or what someone said they're going to do. So without the someone, there's nothing to have faith in. So if your faith is not in God, who is it in? Is it in you? A lot of times it is. Because we know the things we're supposed to do. Well, I'm supposed to say this. I'm not supposed to say this. I'm supposed to be believing this. I'm not supposed to be believing that. I should have done this, but I didn't do it, God. I'm sorry. Will you please heal me anyway? All of that notice that focuses on me and what I'm doing or not doing. It's interesting because if you look through the ministry of Jesus, he didn't heal people based on their qualifications. He didn't even only heal the Jews. There was a woman that came to him she was, she was a Gentile. She was from uh, Syrophoenicia. And she came to him and said, My daughter is, is terribly tormented by demons. And Jesus answered and said, I, I, didn't, come, I didn't come to the, feed the dogs, meaning the Gentiles. And she stands up to him and says, Yeah, but at least the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from the table. And he said, Woman, your faith is great. I mentioned to you before there are only two people in the Bible that I know of that Jesus said they had great faith and neither of, none of them were, neither of them were Jews. They were Gentiles. There was this woman and then there was the centurion, the Roman officer. Have faith, not in your faith, not in how you prayed, not in your mother-in-law, not in your pastor, not in your spouse. Have faith in God. And we've talked about, well, what should I be having faith in God? Well, Numbers twenty three nineteen says, God is not a man that he should lie. Neither is the Son of Man that he should repent. Has he not said it and shall he not bring it to pass? We've established before in other series that God not only does not lie, God cannot lie. It is impossible for God to lie. John seventeen seventeen, Jesus says, Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. He's not saying God tells the truth. What he's saying is truth is whatever comes out of God's mouth. So even if God tried to lie, that's now the truth. So God cannot lie. So why can I have faith in his word? It's the truth. He cannot lie. We've also looked at his character. God is... Is, is, is generous beyond what that word can begin to mean to you. The Bible says in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life. And that, literally in the Greek, says super, super abundantly to overflowing. In Ephesians chapter 3, one of my favorite verses, says, says that God will, do, God will do exceedingly abundantly beyond all you can ask or think. Romans 8.32, Paul says about God, He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up from us all, how will he not also together with him freely give us all things? So if he didn't hold back his most prize, his son, whom he valued more than anything else, why would we think he would, not hold, well, he would hold back anything else? And there are more, and there are more, and there are more. So Jesus starts out by saying, remember who it is you're talking to and what He's like and what His nature is. If You notice in the model of prayers that you see in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 4, in Jesus' prayers, in other prayers, they'll start out by talking about, to God about what He's like and what He's done. Why are they doing that? First of all, they're, they're getting their focus on who He is and what He can do. Think about that. Just think for a moment. Close your eyes just for a moment. (laughs) Think about, I want you to take a moment and think about the greatest need in your life right now and be as specific as you can. The greatest need in your life. All right, now open your eyes. The Bible tells us that there's nothing that's hard for God. What you've just identified, He can do like that. If He can say, let there be, and all of this comes into existence, and it's all still held in existence by the power of that word thousands of years ago, let that be, whatever you just named is easy for Him. It's easy for Him. It's easy for him. It's easy for him. If you read the scriptures correctly, you'll see that Jesus did such things as when he healed people, he also took people who were maimed. That word literally means limbs missing. And they were made whole. I've known of people that have prayed over people and limbs have grown out. Our mind balks at that But see, our mind limits God. That's why He does exceeding abundantly beyond all you can ask or think. God's not limited by what you and I can ask or think. That's really where He begins. And so Jesus is saying, first of all, get your eyes off of the tree. Get your eyes off of yourself, get your eyes off of the circumstances. Get your eyes off of what you just named. Get your eyes off of your biggest problem. Get your eyes off of your biggest lack. Get your eyes off what you can't do. Get your eyes off of this government, get your eyes off of the news. Get your eyes off of anything you can see, hear, feel, touch or taste. And get your eyes on God and what God can do and what God's like and what God. Have faith in God. And what he's like. And what he wants to do. And now to help them with that, look at what he goes on to say. Have faith in God. We could spend weeks there. For assuredly or verily I say unto you. Now, that word in Greek means, I'm telling you the truth. Now, here's a man who can't lie, who's going to start out teaching them something by saying, I'm telling you the truth. So he's getting their attention. It's not like sometimes he told them the truth and sometimes he doesn't. Not like, well, we won't go there. I have people come to see, well, well, Pastor, to tell the truth, it's like, well, don't you always? Yes. (laughs) I mean, if you've got to tell me that now you're telling me the truth, begins to raise questions about when you don't say that. That's <laughs> kind of like where Paul says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, or Jesus saying that. Anything beyond that sin? I'm not saying that sin, but I'm saying we should know that we're telling the truth. The problem with that is you hear yourself say that. See, there's one person that always hears you. That's you. Of course god does so when you say well this time i'm telling the truth it just creates an image in your mind that if all right, sometimes it's just habit but you'll find if you come tell me that i'll probably stop you and just say oh you're telling me that the other times you don't i just want to know where we stand here and so jesus is saying i'm getting your attention because what I'm about to tell you, I've got to break through the images that you have. We're going to break down some images you have about God and how God will answer your prayers. And then he appears to say something that's not in answer to this question, which, of course, we don't know, see the question. But basically, the question I'm assuming here is, in Peter's heart, how did you do that? Remember the that as he spoke to the fig tree and it withered up. And so Jesus is going to teach them how he did that. Now, he's not going to teach them how he did that so they can be so impressed with who he is. He's going to teach them how he did that so they can learn to do the same thing. Well, then let me ask you this question. If Jesus is teaching them this lesson so that they could learn to do what he did, why has God put this story in our Bible? Why are we being given the opportunity to sit in and eavesdrop on a teaching session between the master and his disciples where he's teaching them how to do something he just did unless it's that the Spirit of God wants us to learn how he, what he taught them so that we can do what he taught them to do? So we're not just studying this as some abstract principle, but this is the Spirit of God teaching to, talking to us the way Jesus talked to them. Let's see what he said. Verily or assuredly I say unto you, whoever says to this mountain, and I'm assuming he's pointing to a mountain, be removed and taken up and cast into the sea And does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. What an amazing statement. Let me ask you a question. Is the Bible true? Are you going to heaven? Why why do you know you're going to heaven? you put your faith in Christ right how do you know that's what gets you into heaven because the Bible tells me so so you're trusting that by choosing to believe in Christ that's opens the door of heaven to you and you believe that only because the Bible says so so if the Bible is true about that. If the Bible's true about that, it's got to be true about this. Because if any part of this Bible's not true, then how do I know that the part that says I'm saved by faith in Christ is true? If it's all not true and only some of it's true and some of it's not true, then how do I know which part's true in which part is not true. So it's either all or nothing. Right. Yes. Otherwise, it's worthless. Yeah. You're following me? Yes. So that's why you've got to make a decision. I remember early on as a believer, I was started in Bible school, and I was struggling so much. I'd go to Bible school, and I'd hear them talk faith, and I'd come home, and I'd read my Bible and say, yeah, but what about this? Yeah, but what about that? And I was in torment. And i would resigned my law practice, uprooted my family, moved them halfway across the country. I still remember sitting on the edge of that couch one afternoon, so frustrated. I said, God, I resigned my law practice because I believe that's what you told me to do. I moved my family halfway across the country out here because I believe that's what you told me. And I'm tormented by this. Why? So He asked a heartfelt question. I got a quick answer. He says, because you're reading that Bible like a lawyer. And I knew immediately what he meant. My training is to read documents to find out what's wrong with them. Right? Either it's something I wrote, and I want to make sure there's no loopholes in it, or it's something you wrote, and I want to find the loophole. So my job is to find out what's wrong with that document. And if you look for things that are wrong, you're more likely to find them. And God said, you read this book by faith. And I saw it. I made a decision that day. I'm going to assume everything in that word is true. And the moment I made that choice, those inconsistencies resolved themselves. The things that I thought were in conflict, suddenly I could see the answer. Because now I was no longer looking to find this difference. I was looking to see the answer. Yes. Yes. So it's either all true or it's, or it's, all, or it's worthless. Basing our life. I mean, it's, it's a nice book to read and feel good about yourself. Makes you feel good to bring it to church and you know and dust it off every once in a while. But if you're going to base your life on it, you've got to know it's the truth, all of it. That means if it's all true, this is true. You following me? because otherwise we've got to rip it out. In fact, this has got to be just as true as if you call it, whoever shall, who shall calling it in the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is an astounding statement. He says, if you will speak to that mountain and tell it to be taken up and cast into the sea and will not doubt, whatever you say, will be done. Notice the word prayer isn't mentioned in here. Notice there's nothing in here about talking to God. I'm not saying there aren't times to talk to God. He's saying, if you speak to that mountain and tell it to be taken up and cast into the sea, and do not doubt, what you said will come to pass. Yeah, but pastor, you know, that's, that's not for me. Let's read the verse carefully, because there's one word I've been building up to focus on. For assuredly I say unto you that whoever, or some translations say whosoever, whoever shall say unto this mountain, be taken up. Now let's, I want to talk about the word whoever. It's critical to understand it because we jump over it. Because, see, we can believe and understand things with our mind and yet it's... Notice, he's going to go on and say if you'll not doubt in your heart. He's not talking about your head. You can believe one thing in your head and something else in your heart. It's what you believe in your heart that counts. So you can have a heart that's trusting God in a situation, and I've done this, I'm, and your head's just going south on you. I've been in the middle of crises and my brain just went into spaghetti. It just, but in here, there was a confidence that I'd know what to do. Notice who he's talking to. This is one of the reasons we know it's not just the disciples, because he doesn't say, if you, to the disciples, shall speak unto this mountain. He doesn't say if those that are called pastors and apostles and prophets, He says, "Who? soever?" Now let's think about what that means. That's open-ended. He's not saying, "Look, God's already decided who can have this kind of authority and who can't Well God has already decided. It's available to who? soever. You know what that does? That shifts the responsibility to us. See, what the church for years has done is said, well, okay, that, you know, we have this problem, because the mountain obviously represents obstacles and things. It may represent a literal mountain, but it, remain, it, mentions, it references something that's in the way, something that's a problem to you. And Jesus is saying, if you'll speak to it, tell it to get up, And get out of your way. As long as you don't doubt in your heart and believe what you said will come to pass. It will come to pass. And the people that can do that is whosoever will say unto the mountain, whosoever shall believe and not doubt. So it's available to everyone. So many people say, well, but if, if it's God's will that's saying it's not available to everybody. That's saying it's only available to whosoever God wills. Now, there are some things that clearly God does not will and therefore God will not do because you've got to take scriptures and put them together. But if if you have a question about what God's will is, he wrote it down. Put it in a book and it's sitting in your lap tonight. So it's your responsibility to go find out if it's his will or not. But Jesus is saying, whosoever shall say. Well, would God really do that? Of course, we understand that all the time. Go with me to John chapter 3. I heard one preacher said, practically several that have said it this way Whosoever means me. One of the most famous verses in the Bible. Verse 16 For God so loved the church that he gave. What? For God so loved those that loved him for god so loved the world who does the world include everybody so god now look at the look at the there's a timing here for god so loved everybody that he promised to give his only begotten son to whoever does then say that doesn't it it says for god so loved the world that he gave So look at the order here. God loved, and who did He love? Everybody. No partiality with God. And because He loved so much, He acted first, and He gave His only begotten Son. So that... Now here's where the turn comes, because what else can God do? That's what Romans 8.32 says. If He didn't spare His own Son but delivered must for us all, how will He not also together with Him? And the Greek tense there implies at the same time. How will He not also together with Him freely give all things? So now Jesus is teaching Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that He already gave His only begotten Son so that now it switches away from Him. Oh, by the way, that gives us another idea of what God's like because we're putting our faith in this God. What's this God like? He gave first. 1 John says, Here in His love, not that we loved Him first, and He responded to that, but that He loved us first, and our love is a response to what He did first. God always moves first. God always moves First. And then we have the opportunity to choose how we respond to his move. Every once in a while, I'll get the nerve to play a chess game against the computer chess game in my laptop. It's so frustrating because I'll spend 20 minutes coming up with a move and in three seconds it moves. It's just like it's always my move. I want a break here where I can, you know. For God so loved the world that he acted, that he gave. Yes, yes, yes. Now, here's the response side. So that whosoever, there it is again, should believeth upon him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. So God paid for, provided, and delivered in Christ Christ enough love and enough grace to save everyone that ever lived and made Him available to everyone that ever lived so that now the choice is up to us of whether we receive that gift or not. So if God did that with salvation... And we don't get all shook up because we are saved and people we know are saved, but there are people out there that say no. We don't say, well, I guess it wasn't God's will. I mean, after all, they didn't end up saved, so it must have not been God's will. You cannot tell what God's will is like by looking with what we do with the choice to respond to Him. I just turned in a, in a car that was five years old. It had dings and dents. I could tell the front end was beginning to have trouble. Well, that's not what the car was like when I got it. The car when I got it was a perfect expression of what the Ford Motor Company intended it to be. When I turned it back in, you could not no longer look at that car and tell what the Ford Motor engineers intended for that. Why? Because it had been in my hands for five years. I'd been responsible for it. So whether the oil was changed or not was my responsibility, not God, not the, not Ford Motor Company's. Whether there was rust in it, there was not but if there was rust in it, it wasn't Ford Motor Company's fault, it was what I did with it or didn't do to it. It was entrusted to me. So now something's been put in my hands, I now have a response to a response to this. And what we do is we decide what God's like by looking at what people do in response to what he's done for them. And we understand that when it comes to salvation, because we understand it's a choice people have to make. Once they've heard the word, they choose whether to believe or not believe. And sometimes you know that they have to hear it over and over and over again. But ultimately, it's their choice, it's offered to them. God's not holding it back and saying, Well, I've only made this available to certain people. No, for God so loved the world that He acted, He did everything He could do. There's nothing left that He can do. It's now our choice. Then Jesus said, now whosoever, which means if I choose to, I get the benefit of what God did. If I choose not to, I don't get the benefit of what God did. But it's my choice. Don't yes. worry to Romans chapter 10. I'll show you this in another place. Verse 6, for the righteousness, basically, that we receive by faith, speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. In other words, he's saying here, faith does not talk this way. It doesn't say, God, do something. Send Christ down. Or raise him from the dead. It doesn't talk that way. Why? God's already sent him and already raised him from the dead. God's done his part. Then what does faith say? How does faith talk? Verse 8. But what does it say? The word, that is the word of faith, is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. In other words, the response to what God has done is in your heart. And it's in your mouth. Now, here's what he encourages us to do with it. Therefore, verse uh, 9, excuse me, verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. And then how is what does it work? How does it work? That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the other side of John three sixteen. John three sixteen says that for God so loved the world that He gave His Son. But whosoever believes upon him and here it says and calls upon him so Paul is saying don't say God send him down here don't say God raising him from the dead he's already done that the word of faith says this the answer is in your heart and the is in your mouth you've got to choose to believe what he did and you've got to choose to respond to that belief by saying something Making a confession of who he is. The word confess literally means to agree with. And to claim is yours. When you confess a sin, what are you doing? You're accepting ownership of that. When you confess Jesus as Lord, you're accepting him with your words. You're reaching out and accepting a gift that God gave. But he gave first. But my side of it is to receive it. And his gift is available to whosoever will believe. For the word is near you, in your heart and in your mouth. The word of faith which we preach. For if you confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 11. For the scripture says, Whosoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Are there people that will be put to shame? Yes, but not whosoever chooses To believe on Him. The choice is ours. The point here is, whosoever means it's available to everyone, but you must choose to operate and accept what He's offering. That's how you were saved. You could have heard it and just sat there and said, that's interesting. And you heard the word, but you had to be a whosoever that not only believed, but made the confession or accepted the gift. In the same way Jesus is saying to his disciples, what I did is available to whosoever will do what I did. Not special Christians. Not Christians that have a special level of faith. It's whosoever will simply do what I'm about to tell you to do. Whosoever. Whosoever means you whosoever means me but it means i choose whether it's me or not it's my choice the keys have been given to me now do i pick them up and exercise them or do i just look at them and say wouldn't it be nice if i could do something oh god wouldn't it be nice if i had a nice house wouldn't it be nice if i had a good job Oh, God, I look at somebody over there. They have all these... Oh, God, if you loved me, you'd give me these things. God says, whosoever shall say. God's telling us, I've done my part. I've acted. When we get into studying the blood covenant, what you'll see in there, the blood covenant means God's done it. The food's on the table. The food's there. But you've got to choose to pick it up and eat it. You've got to choose. So the beginning of this is to understand who Jesus is talking to. All of us. But the whosoever shifts the responsibility. Now, we still put our faith in God, not in ourselves. But I've got to now choose to become one of the whosoever's. So instead of looking at the problem and saying... bemoaning the problem saying oh if this would only change if I could only have this if I could only get a better job if I could only get a better spouse if I could only get a better car if I could only do the if I could only fit I could only only only, only, that's putting it off on somebody else when God has said it's there I'll back up what you say but you got to choose to be one of the whosoevers it's your choice it's your choice See, that's why God doesn't feel sorry for us. Why would God feel sorry for us when He's given us the authority to call upon His name at which He'll do anything and solve anything? Why does feel sorry for ourselves mean I've chosen to stay in the mess because I'd rather have the feeling from the pity then the joy of the see you can't be free and feel sorry for yourself. You got to choose one or the other. You got to choose the you either have to choose the pity or the freedom. You can't have both because to be free, there's nothing to feel sorry for you about because you're free and victorious and overcoming. Self pity is the devil's aphrodisiac. It's worshiping him. It's worshiping the power He has over your life through circumstances and through people. Whereas praise and worship is worshiping what God the Father has done and can do for you.